Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As Christians, we all may have had a similar experience in our life, and that is that when things are going well, when things are generally calm and relatively peaceful, our faith can sometimes drift into autopilot. And it's not that we don't have faith at that time, it just doesn't seem to be that our faith is front and center in the moment. We simply continue to do what we're used to doing. However, when we hit those rough patches in life, when things are more chaotic than they are peaceful, when we have times of difficulty or despair, our faith in those moments can truly come into view. We turn to God and reflect how much we truly need him. Our, our natural instinct is to realize that we need to hold on to him even more tightly. Difficult experiences like these in our lives can indeed be painful. But oftentimes what we hope is that they end up being a positive thing when it comes to our faith. For instance, it's the man who had stopped coming to church for years, but he suddenly shows up again one Sunday because a death in his family caused him to turn back to God and the certain hope that he knows is there to be found. Or it's the woman whose prayer life had all but grown silent, but then it comes alive again suddenly, and it's because the, the doctor found a spot on her lung, and, and she knows she needs the healing of both body and soul that only God can provide. Well, 20 years ago yesterday was the event that we know now as 9-11, when terrorists attacked New York City and also our country's capital and caused the entire nation to feel unsettled and insecure. And what did we see almost immediately afterwards? Do you remember 20 years ago? I was talking to Pastor Tom and Pastor Don about this this past week. Churches were packed to the brim all across the country, attendance reaching numbers that we honestly hadn't seen in a long time and, and honestly speaking, we haven't seen since. But for a short while, at least, our nation collectively turned toward God, holding tightly on to him, completely aware of our need for the comfort and security and the peace that only he can bring. And that's what can happen with our faith. Troubled times have a way of bringing clarity to our faith, and so we pray that in the end they are a positive thing, as we see our faith strengthened. But there are also the other times, and there are also other people, as I'm sure we've all witnessed before, that instead of that person's faith growing stronger in those moments of darkness or distress, their faith actually grows weaker. That while some, after losing a loved one, will be led back to church, others will drift farther away. That while some, after being diagnosed with a life-altering illness, will turn back to God in prayer, others will turn just about anywhere else looking for healing. Or that while some, after seeing how vulnerable we truly are in this life and in this world, will hold on tightly to Jesus, others will begin to let him go, wondering how he could ever allow such a thing in the first place. You see, sometimes when troubles affect faith, 
the experience, unfortunately, is not always a positive one. Sometimes faith wavers instead of strengthens. It falters instead of focuses. It lets go instead of holding on. And today, the gospel writer Mark describes one of these situations in Mark chapter 9. And we see there, there's a desperate father and a demon-possessed child. But it's in these moments that God brings into focus even more clearly his son, Jesus Christ. And so what we find today, somewhat unexpectedly, is that Jesus came not only for those who are strong in their faith, but also for those who are weak and may even be walking away. Consider the father's situation for just a moment. Consider the heart of a parent who has had to watch as their child suffered for so long with this unclean spirit that not only affects him physically and spiritually, but is actually trying to destroy this child, sending him at times into fire or into water. And consider how helpless the father must have felt through it all. But then one day there's this glimmer of hope. This man hears about Jesus and so he makes a plan to bring his child to Jesus. And, and so he finds the disciples, or at least he finds nine of them, because Jesus and the other three, Peter, James, and John, are up on the mountain of transfiguration. But the father knows that these disciples can still help because they can cast out spirit. They've done it before. They've been given the authority by Jesus to do it. But that's when things begin to go wrong. The father finds that the disciples aren't able to do anything for him, even though they try. And to make matters worse, there's another group who's present there that day. The religious leaders, the scribes who use this as an opportunity to begin to argue with the disciples, beginning to challenge them and challenge the authority that Jesus had. Never mind that his son is still lying right there in front of them, all the while suffering. But they seem to have forgotten about them by this point. And by the time that Jesus arrives on the scene, the father has had it. And his heart is nearly empty of all faith. Well, this evil spirit in response to the presence of Jesus and knowing well who Jesus is, he immediately grips the boy again as if to demonstrate his power in the presence of the almighty God. And the father now is at the end of his rope. This spirit has taken the joy of childhood and replaced it with suffering. It has taken the joy of fatherhood and replaced it with fear. It has taken the strength of his faith and made it seem like it was just all a dream. And yet somehow, somehow, the father has just enough faith to begin to utter one last plea. He says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And help us. Now here's where the real problem in this passage presents itself. And the problem is not the affliction of the boy. Yes, he is afflicted, 
And yes, he will receive Jesus' healing, but that's not the primary problem that Mark wants us to see today. You see, Jesus is troubled by something other than this evil spirit whom he knows can't withstand his authority as God. And Jesus is troubled by something other than the child seizing on the ground whom he knows in just a moment he will heal. Instead, what Jesus is troubled by is the faith of this father, the father who is struggling with doubt and unbelief, this father who is before his eyes falling away from the faith. And so Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are possible. For one who believes. You see, Jesus wants this father to hear in his own ears the doubt that he has just spoken. And so by doing, Jesus brings this father's faith now to the forefront and out in the open so that Jesus can now point the father back to the object of his faith, point him back to himself and what Jesus is about to do for him. Well, the reality of this father's life is a reality with which we at times may be able to identify quite well. This father is one who believes, but is also one who does not believe. This father is one who tries, but he's also one who has given up on trying. This father is one who is holding on with all of his strength. And yet he is also choosing to let go. And this is what he confesses in an honest moment with Jesus, in a very real moment, uh, identifying the struggle that is going on within himself in the moment when he says, I believe, help my unbelief. With these words, the Father brings into focus for us this day our own weaknesses and stumbling, our own doubting and grumbling, our own hesitation and weariness that we have in our lives. And we think today about all the times when our faith may have grown thin. Whether that thinness of faith was caused by events that we see in this world, like wars or natural disasters or terrorist attacks, Or things in our families, like family conflicts, or hurt feelings, or diseases uh, among loved ones, or even death. Or the thinness of faith caused by things within our own lives, like the internal struggles we have with sin, or addiction, or battles with our own personal demons. All these things may run through our mind as we begin to identify in some way with this father whose struggle is summed up in that cry, I believe, help my unbelief. But you see, when we understand that the primary problem in this passage is not the boy and is not the evil spirit, but rather is the faith of this father, then we can see even more clearly the grace-filled solution that Jesus delivers. And he delivers it not only for this father, but Jesus also delivers it for you and for me this day. Because when we come face to face, when we are honest with Jesus about the ugliness of all of our doubt and our sin and our disbelief, well, that's exactly when we come face to face with a Savior who has overcome all of it. 
Jesus is the Savior who has come to deliver us. He has come to save us from the effects of disease and death and all the symptoms of a fallen creation groaning under the weight of our sin. He will release this creation from its suffering and restore it on the day when he returns again. And Jesus has also come to save us from the power of the devil. He has broken the claim that the kingdom of darkness had on us. And he has transferred us into the kingdom of his heavenly light by his all-atoning death on the cross. Jesus also has come to save us from death itself. He defeated death by his resurrection. And he promises to raise us up from our graves as well on the day when death will be no more. But in addition to all of these, Jesus has also come to save us from ourselves. We who are sinful by nature, lost, broken, and condemned by sin, naturally enemies of God and children of wrath, Jesus took even that, who we are and what we deserve, and he took it all to the cross. To forgive us for it. He didn't come for people who are already strong in the faith and have no need of a savior. That person doesn't exist. No, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came for the weak in faith, the faltering, the faithless. Jesus came for this father that we see in Mark chapter 9 as he showed him who he was and what he had come to do for him. And Jesus also came for you. He died for you. And he died for me. He died for all of our sin and our doubt and our unbelief. And then Jesus rose again to show us that he leaves it all behind in the grave. And he now brings us life and faith. Faith is not yours. Faith is not about you. Faith is not about how much you are able to do for Jesus. Rather, faith is all about how much Jesus has done for you. And that's what the father in our passage is brought to realize today. And this is the miracle that Mark describes. Yes, the evil spirit is driven away. And yes, the child is healed. He is brought back from the dead. It says as Jesus takes him by the hand and literally lifts him up. But the most amazing thing we hear today is that the father is forgiven and restored. He is brought back from the brink of despair and all hopelessness and is strengthened once again by his Savior. And that's the miracle of faith that Jesus brings you today as well. Jesus is not the kind of Savior who, when you are struggling, tells you to do better. No, Jesus is the Savior who lifts up your eyes to see him and to see how he has done all things perfectly for you. Jesus is not the kind of Savior who, when you falter in your faith, tells you to trust more in yourself. No, Jesus is the Savior who gives you the faith you need to trust completely in him and him alone. 
And Jesus is not the kind of Savior who, when times get hard, tells you to buckle down and hold on to him tighter. No, Jesus is the Savior who reminds you that he is already holding on tightly to you, and he will never let you go. So often in this life, you will not have the answers. So often you will struggle and you will suffer. And so often you may feel like you are at the end of your rope and you don't know what's keeping you from just drifting away. But the good news that God shares with you this day is that your forgiveness and your life and your salvation, it does not depend on you holding on to Jesus. Rather, your forgiveness and life and salvation depends entirely on the one who is already holding on to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Oh,